Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, we have another great podcast collaboration. Today, we'll be replaying a fantastic episode that I recorded with David Fano, the founder of Teal, which is uh, an incredible platform to help empower people to build fulfilling careers. We recorded this back late uh, last year. And I'm excited to share this with you. Dave and I had a tremendous conversation around career advice, tactical, strategic, and I think you will get a ton for it. Uh, you could check out more. Definitely check out Teal. It's uh, pretty cool. Uh, tons of tools there. You can check out tealhq.com and uh, enjoy the episode. Take care. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. This week, we are with Adam Posner. And if you don't follow him on LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, all sorts of places, you are missing out. Tons of awesome advice and the occasional Web3 stuff. Uh, but we're going to talk about recruiting today uh, and best to hear from Adam directly. So, Adam, tell us a little more about you. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much, first and foremost, for having me on the show. Uh, big fan. Uh, we we know each other. Deeply respect uh you, your background, which you're building over at Teal and helping job seekers out. My, my down and dirty real quick, uh, my elevator pitch, um, something that I advocate to candidates as well, is to be able to tell your story as succinctly as possible. Born and raised New Yorker, first 15 years of my career working in marketing, media, advertising at ad agencies and client side, American Express, Sirius XM. My last stop before pivoting into recruiting was working for the great Gary V over at VaynerMedia. Long story short, grass was not greener on the other side, and ultimately I ended up losing my job. On that last day of losing my job, Gary says, stop focusing on the things you suck at, double down on your strengths, and pushed me into the world of recruiting. Spent the first couple of years, so I had to pivot, age of 35, scary as hell, starting a new career, new industry. It was scary. I'm certainly happy to talk about that moment. Um, but I dove in head first, did my due diligence, uh, met and spoke with every recruiter that I ever met with. Learned as much about the business as I could before um, taking a role. Luckily, I aligned with a great search firm called Onward Search. Learned the art and science of recruiting. So I ran a full desk for anyone out there. I did business development and recruiting in the marketing, media, and advertising world. Did that for about three years. And then I said, screw it. I'm done giving half my money to the house. And I went out on my own. I launched NHP Talent Group, full service um, recruitment firm specializing, as you can guess, all things marketing, media, and advertising. Um, built out a nice team. And about a year and a half ago, I, I about two years ago, plus I, I uh, caught the Web3 bug and I launched Probably Nothing Talent, which is our Web3 division that has since crashed and burned with the market. I'm kidding, but not kidding. There's still things moving on that side. And I am the host of uh, Top Global Career Podcast, The Podcast. Been doing that for about five years, approaching 300 episodes. And the show is all about unpacking my guest's life journey told through the lens of their career and sharing the wisdom of my guest's shining a light on them. And that light thankfully reflects back on me. And that's where we are here today. Amazing. Excited to dive into a lot of things. And I think given your background, I'm extra excited to dive into the parallel parallels of the recruiting process and kind of sales and marketing process. Because right? I one of the things I tell people is it's a funnel on either side, of course. you know, and I've been doing a lot more. I mean, I'd always recruited for companies I founded, but 
now with Teal, I'm doing a bit more of a like traditional tech recruiting. Yeah. Um, and doing more outbound. I used to just like build relationships on Twitter with, you know, folks that were into the niche that I was, which was technology in the building industry. So it was a very small niche and easy to connect. Um, but it was mostly through our content marketing um, that sort of brought people in. But now I'm seeing like, it's a funnel. I got to, yep. you know, reach out to a certain number of people. It's sales. I did sales before and I was like, oh, this is a lot like sales. This is people, not a product, but it's still very much a pitch. What are you seeing in the market as like the most compelling way to engage candidates? It really comes down to fundamental employer branding. Hmm. How is your company perceived in the market by candidates? What are they hearing? Listen, bad stuff happens all the time. How do you handle it from a PR perspective? Let's talk more tactical. Let's talk about LinkedIn. And there are positive messages out there coming from employees who work there versus these paid sponsored ads. I'm not a big fan of paid sponsored ads. You know it's paid. You know what the intention is. But when I see someone who works there genuinely speaking positively about their organization, that is good. When I see someone out there um, who represents their organization, thought leadership, talking about the industry, sharing tips, insights, advice, maybe clips from a keynote or a panel that they're talking about, that's all good stuff. That is a positive lead magnet for, for two things. One, candidate attraction and retention too. It's kind of cool when you see someone from your company up there talking good stuff that's smart, that's intelligent about your organization and about your industry. So it works both ways. Something we brought up in our team meeting this week that I'm kind of opposed to, but open to feedback on is employee referral bonuses. You know, right now we're, we're recording this in September of 2023 markets kind of tight for knowledge workers. Are those you know, markets complex? I should say like companies are hiring. There's folks that are losing their jobs, but there's still lots of open positions and that's a way to source. And then you've got all the gurus saying like everyone gets hired via referral, which is empirically untrue, but have you seen things like that work? So there's two, there's two sides of it too. I, I think there's an inherent bias with employee referrals because it's a like bias, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm referring something, most likely I'm referring somebody who's like me. Now, not necessarily in a bad way. And this ties back to the F word that I hate, culture fit. I absolutely, mm -hmm. I, I, I despise that word because inherently the word fit means everyone's homogenous. Everyone's gonna look the same, sound the same. I yep. believe in diversity of mindset, right? Not just physical appearance, sexual orientation, backgrounds, but it's a diversity of mindset. Now, the caveat there is aligned values. Does everyone mm -hmm. in the organization have aligned values? Are we on a common mission there? But real diversity in an organization comes down to mindset. Now, referrals are interesting because I think they work if they're vetted properly. I'm, I used to work with Dave over at WeWork. Dave's awesome. I think Dave would be great here. Now let's properly vet them. But don't overly rely on employer referrals. Now, the other piece of it too is, is, is the compensation that you attach to it. And mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of products out there that are really trying to monetize this referral thing where it's just becoming a, a, a lead you know, a, a referral, like almost like a, like an affiliate model. Mm -hmm. And that's garbage. The mm -hmm. other part, cause that's what's happening is I'm now putting my name behind the referral. And what if that person's garbage? What's the repercussion on that? So those are my thoughts on, on referrals. Yeah. I generally think like, it's not something I could see myself doing anytime soon, possibly ever try not to use sort of very, uh, <laughs> definitive language like that, because it's like, you want people to do it cause they want to, cause they believe in it. It's such the one have a better team thing. and work so with better, better, better coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. Someone on our team said, let's use the word culture ad instead of culture fit. And I was like, 100%. I love that. 
that makes so much more sense. Like they make us better, not trying to sort of maintain this thing that's not open to being molded and changed and, by more perspectives. And new, new, here, here's, the, here's the analogy I like to use, David. It's, um, it's a quilt, right? Mm-hmm. I look at an organization as a quilt, right? It's made up of different fabrics, different colors, different textiles and strengths, right? And you put them all together and you're looking real close. There's lots of different things happening there, but when you pull back, what do you have? You have a beautiful quilt, right? So that's what an organization should aim to. And that quilt is strong. It's beautiful. It keeps you warm. It gets the job done, right? It sounds a little cheesy, but you know what? Yeah, it kind of works. I like it. All right. So as a recruiter on the agency side, I would imagine the majority of the work you're doing is outbound. Like maybe someone asks you to screen the internal applicants, but I would imagine it's safe to say that's the least of your yes. work. More so when you hire a recruiter, it's like, we don't have the bandwidth. Can you please go help us find somebody to add to the patchwork of the quilt? Correct. Um, talk me through what that process is like for you so people can better understand how an agency recruiter goes through that all the way to like when you're starting yeah. to do that initial, that first message you sent to a candidate. Great. So, so this, this is a good one. And I, and I really enjoyed talking about it too, because I, again, going back to analogies, I guess it's an analogy day this Thursday today, right? Like <laughs> sometimes I'm a farmer where I'm growing, I'm cultivating and I'm nurturing a pipeline. And I do that on LinkedIn. I'm attracting, I'm consistently connecting with candidates, either active or passive candidates within my industry. So when the time comes for me to hunt, I'm going to be able to know where they are in their first contact. It also mm-hmm. becomes a lot more efficient if I'm using in-mails or direct messages, right? So you're talking about efficiency from that perspective. But the first thing I do with any client, obviously, when we get a job is have an intake meeting with them. Really understand what they're looking for, not just the job description. Yes, we go through it and everything. But what I like to do as a recruiter is I am the first line of, of, of conversation with any potential candidate. So I say, Dave, all right, you're hiring a product manager for X, Y, and Z part of your division. What five questions would you ask in a first round interview that I could ask before someone even gets to you, right? So I am, I am closing the aperture of the search to make, add more value to what I am providing than just throwing resumes at a wall and seeing if the shit sticks, right? That's not what I'm doing right there. So I'm having that intake call. We're also aligning on best, usually if it works well, what that interview process is going to look like. I'm going to present you candidates based on the criteria. I'm going to have a first conversation with them. And then by the time they get to you, we're going to assume that they're in pretty good shape for you to say, hey, yes, I want to talk to these folks if I'm doing my job correctly. What does that interview process look like? Let's outline it. Let's align. So that way I could go back to the candidate and say, managing your expectations. If Dave wants to speak with you, you're going to speak with Dave first. And then you're going to talk with Sue, Mary, Bob, and you'll probably have a final call with the CEO just as a kind of, you know, check the box to say, hey, this is a great candidate. So I'm managing the expectations on that side. So that's kind of the intake with the client to really understand that. This all layers up to managing expectations on both sides, as we were talking about before the call, right? Managing expectations internally with the client. And now we're going to get to managing expectations with, with the candidate. When you start a search, and it's obviously always different, but how much of it is like an existing pipeline of relationships you've built. Cause you've done that. You know, that's one of the great yeah. things about building your personal brand is that you've got a network and you've got people that you're already in touch with. And you probably know folks that have said, Hey Adam, if you see something, let me know. And then how much of that's it is question. like new cold outbound. It depends on the role. It yeah. really depends on the role. Right. So I have a, for, for me, I have a bullseye, right? I have a bullseye of, of what I love to recruit on and what I recently recruited on. So mm-hmm. let's use a, a real life example. 
product marketing, product management, mid to senior level roles, UI, UX design. That's what I've been working on very consistently for the last year. So there's two things. One of those are the most recent folks in my LinkedIn world and also on my internal CRM database. So now what I could do is work smarter, not harder. I could go back to a past project that looks familiar. And now I already have, say, 150 candidates that I've reached out to. And now I could look deeper and be like, yeah, Dave is good, but he's a little junior for what they're looking for. But ha, Sally over there, I didn't reach out to her, but I put her in my pipeline because I knew she was more senior, but not right for that role. Bam. And I have her right in there and I could fire it off. So that's work smarter, not harder. Now we have to go back into hunting mode. If it's a very niche targeted role, if there's certain special, uh, special qualifications, for example, right now I'm working w- roles that require government security clearance, mm. TSI, poly, all these things. Most of these folks have that on their LinkedIn profile. It's something that you just put. It's a badge, not a badge of honor. It's just like, hey, I have this clearance yeah, here. Like a certification. It's a certification, right? So that almost makes it easier because I know that they're there. So now I have to become a ninja. Now I have to go in and find them and surgically strike and use multiple methods of contact to get in touch with them and get them on the hook. Now I use a phishing analogy. I have to use different baits. What <laughs> messaging is going to get their attention? Which, which method, right? Am I using my CRM scraping tool to hit their Gmail, but the only email coming up on there is a Hotmail, which I'm going to say in this day, day and age, most people, that Hotmail is what they signed up for LinkedIn for, and that's why the CRM tool scraping it is going to pull that out, right? So now I have to go to other methods. Am I using an in-mail? Am I using a direct connect with a personalized message? So I have different weapons that I use for that outreach. Now I get them on the hook. Some folks are active candidates where they're on the market, whether it be an open to work banner or maybe they're a little bit more discreet. Then we have folks that are passive candidates where, you know what? That sounds interesting. I'm going to take that phone call. And a quick side note on that, Dave, one of my biggest pieces of advice to candidates out there, even if you're not active, if something sounds a little bit interesting, Take a half hour phone call. It could change your life or it can mean nothing or you could have just established a, a contact with a good recruiter for when you might need it in the future. But you don't know unless you take that call. It's a half an hour. So I have a question for you there. This is a theme I'm developing more and more interest in and as sort of as I see the job market. So you recruited pre-COVID and post-COVID. Correct. Do, do you, I think before... I mean, it was still a phone call, but I feel like the idea of taking an interview, I've seen job seekers kind of already like forward project. Well, if I take the call, then that means I'm going to have to go to an interview. And it's like, you haven't even taken the call yet, but do you feel like the willingness or appetite to take the call is higher given that so much of the interviewing is virtual versus like the in office, got to wear a suit, got to lie and said it's laundry day. hundred percent. Like. How it's changed. 100%, 100%. And I also, on my first call, 99% of the time I do audio only. Mm-hmm. This removes 100% of the barrier of like, oh my God, I got to look at a recruiter on screen. I got to be presentable. I can't be sitting in my car at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, right? Because I'm in my lunch break. I just want, and plus I don't want to look at somebody all the time because we have to be mindful in this world too of neurodiversity. And I want to try mm-hmm. to eliminate biases on that. It's a real thing. I could get on a call with anybody at any time and I cannot take it for granted and I cannot expect everybody else to do that. My brain is wired for that, especially when I recruit tech roles. Inherently, a lot of tech folks are introverted. It just is what it is, right? There's nothing bad about being an introvert. There's nothing great about being an extrovert. It just is what it is. People are wired differently. So as a recruiter, I really try to be mindful and sensitive to how am I gonna have the best conversation with somebody and make them feel as comfortable as possible and disarm them. Not in a bad way, 
but disarm them to feel comfortable enough to have a conversation to me about what their motivation is, right? So, I mean, this is such an important topic and all, like very current for me. Get into it, let's go. Is, you know, we're sort of learning about her neurodivergence at the moment and going through the battery of tests and things like that. And, you know, sort of unfortunate, you have to experience it firsthand to then develop more empathy and compassion for it. Absolutely. Um, but it's, it is so true. You know, like one of the things we're trying to do at Teal, which I sort of shout from the mountaintops is we send the interview questions in advance to people because like, there are people like you and I, I think are talk to thinkers. So we're generally in a better situation on our feet, but there are people who are think to talkers and I'm just not getting their best when they got zero time to process what they're going to say. And they just have to shoot from the hip and everyone's like, Oh, but what about like how fast they are on their feet? I'm like, that's just not real. Unless Depends they're on the role. That's not what I'm testing for. <laughs> you know. And I, and I despise when people say, it. and it's interesting too. So for one of my tech clients, I've been sending out a pre-screener with questions. So it does a couple of mm. things. One, these are tech qualifications that you must have. So it's an easy, like, do you have this? If you don't have it, you're not, this isn't for the role. Right, let's the not security, waste the time. Right, like the other one is U.S. citizenship. Straight up for this role, it's a federal government role. You need to have a U.S. citizenship because I need to clear you for clearance if you don't have it, right? So these are simple disqualifying questions. This isn't ghosting. This isn't any of that shit. These are just qualifying questions. And here's the other thing I tell folks. I want to be mindful of your time. If you take a few minutes and answer these questions and it all checks the boxes, I could spend that half hour call really talking to you about the company, the role, mm -hmm. the culture, the, 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 your motivations, what you're looking for, and have a real conversation around compensation. Instead of sitting there, I go, I'm going to ask you these same questions on the call. What's the difference if you answer them in your own time? To your point, Dave, in your own words, I could, I could write how, what I really want to say in these answers instead of being put on the spot. So keep it concise, you know, keep it, you know, five to seven questions, short answer. I don't need diatribes. I need, I don't need you to write, you know, the odyssey here, like, <laughs> Right. Like, let's be real, folks. There's, there's a lot of ways to make the, the process better. And that's what yeah, Teal and is it, doing. Yes. And it's not one, it's not one size fits all. I think on the hiring side, I mean, look, I think in life in general, we want everyone to sort of conform to the box that we're most comfortable in. You know, I'll, I'll give this example because just, again, super current, but I think it, it applies to hiring and how we think about interviewing and creating like inclusive processes. I got home the other day, my daughter was doing her homework and she had math science and English all on the table at the same time. And she was doing one question for one, one question for the other and one question for the other. Right. And like and my mom do? came in, not in an offensive way, but just cause like she used to be a teacher. She'd be like, that's not how you do that. And I, my response is like, that her, that's her brain. Like her brain, that's, that's such a better situation for her rather than saying everyone has to conform to doing it this one way. So she's a master multitasker already. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like the benefit of ADHD, you know, it's like, a, it's a gift in a way. Right, like how you harness your superpower, right? Like some mm -hmm. people talk, let's, let's, let's take a quick left turn on that for a second here. I understand when people say multitasking is a false prophecy. I go, that's a biased statement. I go, I am a multitasker. I move, I mean, when I'm in my task, I, I, I move from task to, to task, but that keeps me moving all the trains forward in my business and in my life, right? If I just spend, but I also do, I also do block out focused time for certain work for real deep thinking work, but I'm a, I'm a master multitasker. It's part of my undiagnosed OCD, you know, ACD, ACHD. I, I think what like the, it's, it's really like a language thing. Cause like mm -hmm. the literal interpretation of what people do there is that you can't truly 
parallel process. And it's like, no, of course not. I'm serializing the process. I'm just doing them in smaller batches, mm -hmm. right? Like the implied is like, oh, you're doing something for an hour and then the next Batch. thing for an hour. And it's like, no, I do five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, or even two minutes, two minutes, two minutes. So no, my brain's not like multi-threading. I agree with you. I can't do that, but I work in shorter batches and I get more out of like my horsepower than and someone thank, else. And thank you for, for breaking it down. Multi-threading was the word that kind of stuck in my head. Like I'm not like, you know, thinking about this, but writing about that. That's not what I'm doing, but I'm, right. I'm micro batching because again, as a recruiter, if I'm looking down and I'll give you an example, if I'm looking down at my mixing board here, all those levels, if I need to get them to the top there, they need to be moving this one a little bit now, now moving that one. That keeps everything moving in the train and the train and the train moving forward. But I want to go back and hopefully your brain's on this one too. I want to go back to candidates. Yeah. And, the, and this yeah concept. We'll, 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 you and I are, are, I think are good tangenters. So we'll, we'll try to keep each other back on the main thing. But that's thing. a good podcast too. Cause a good podcast. You want to be able to make those right and left turns and then bring it back to, to the main road. Cause you got to get to the destination. Hey everybody. I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love. And our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. I want, I've been talking about this a lot. I want to talk about the, the concept of managing expectations as a candidate too, and managing your mental mindset too. If something is not a priority, just because it's a priority to you, doesn't mean it's going to be a priority to them. Doesn't mean it's a priority to the recruiter. Doesn't mean it's a priority to the hiring manager. In the same breath, a good recruiter will be able to tell you, if you ask, the question is, is this an immediate, Dave, we're, we're interviewing, we're role-playing for a second here. I'm going to make, Dave, thank you so much. You know, there's, there's a great conversation. Question for you. Um, how soon is this company looking to make a hire? Right. And that's a fair question. Right. Yeah, of course. So like, that'll give me two answer, things. You want me to like, oh, give you me, know, give me, give me something. Yeah. You know, we're probably, it's like, it's important, not urgent. We want to get the right person, but really it shouldn't, we'd like for it to, you know, the offer to be out within the next two to three months. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm in the process right now. I have a couple of other opportunities. When should I expect to hear some feedback? Well, we're talking to a few other candidates. We'd like to wrap up this phase of the process first before we give anyone like real signal, you know, cause it's a market and there's a lot of really talented people out there. So we'll probably wrap up the technical interviews over the course of the next two weeks. And that's when you could probably expect to hear from us. Okay, great. So I'm going to continue down my process. I will keep you posted if I have another opportunity that is moving quickly. Um, when should I follow up with you? If I don't hear back, when should I follow up with you? Yeah, I think like, you know, Early next week, just in case, you know, because if things wrap up and, you know, things can change. So, yeah, I would welcome an email from you early parts of next week. And I'm happy to give you an update on, on where we are. Great. I, I appreciate it. Stop. See what you did there as a candidate, right? You're, 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 you're disarming yourself. Being, I don't know. Should I email the recruiter? Should I send them a note? Is it going to look shitty? I mean, no. Dave said, shoot him a note by the end of the week if I don't hear from him. That's part of being a candidate of owning your process. I'm also a big advocate of tracking your progress too, which I know is a feature in, in your platform as well there too. You're, you have to treat your job search more important or better than your job if you're deep in a job search. You have to be organized. You have to remember where you applied. You have to keep track of your follow-ups. 
One of the tips that I like to, to give candidates is utilize your Google Calendar to put re reminders on there. Dave said follow sure. up next Tuesday. I'm going to put a reminder in there right now. I know Tuesday morning, if I forget, I'm going to follow up with Dave on that role. Own it. Own your process as a candidate as best you can. On the other side of that as a recruiter, you owe it to a candidate to close a loop. You owe it to a candidate. Ghosting for me is if I apply to a company and they didn't, and they didn't, and they didn't send anything to me, that's not freaking ghosting. Pardon my French. Ghosting to me is if you have an interaction via email or a conversation with somebody in an organization and they don't get back to you, that is ghosting. Yeah. I feel like once it becomes two way, the one that drops off ghosts, when it's just one way, you know, it's like, like what we do on our JDs is we say, if you don't meet at least 50% of the qualifications, we probably won't get back to you. Right. Cause there is, and what I'm trying to do there is the signal to noise ratio is a problem. As much as we like, talk get about that. super crisp and clear on the JD, it is very unfortunate that there are folk, there are bad actors out there that really make the process worse for everyone. Right. We say this is a U.S. only position and the folks are clearly not. It's not to say that, you know, hopefully they get hired, but that's just not something we can do as a company. We don't have the infrastructure or it's for the government right. and it's not allowed. Um, you need to know this software language. Don't apply if you hope to learn it. I had that one candidate, I, just, I really wanted it to work for them. They applied. So I went as far as like write them and say, hey, I didn't see Ruby on Rails on your resume. Oh, no, I don't have it. I was hoping that I could learn it on the job. And you do like, not have the ability in your organization right now to have the bandwidth. You need somebody who could come in. What's interesting about that one is, and I think that that's another one, a, a big, listen, there's so many parts of the hiring process that are broken. Candidates also have to understand volume between easy apply yeah. Between these AI products out there right now that are mass applying, I'm not going to name any names, that are spraying and praying, it's flooding the system. So if yeah. you're at a company, a small company, even a big company, and you don't have the, your recruiters don't have the bandwidth to screen every application, you're hurting other qualified candidates. Yeah. I could say this, and I don't know the percentage here, over my eight years of recruiting, both internally where I come into organizations and I, and I operate as an internal recruiter, I have missed a, a decent percent of good candidates have slipped through the pipeline a hundred percent sure why because volume i have something to do i need to keep this role moving i need to focus on a good candidate i see them i'm going to screen them i'm going to move them forward but when i'm looking and i have 200 resumes to review easy applies unqualified folks just flooding the pipeline there's some responsibility there as well too so to your point you said 50 percent back in napkin i like to say 75 60 75 percent qualified you should apply to the role because as a recruiter, I don't have, I don't have the, just to your point, I don't have the ability to train you. Yeah. So, so one thing I want to, you, you posted something on LinkedIn the other day, yeah, essentially saying like time kills deals. Um, and it's, it's uh, our head, uh, our um, general counsel at, uh, at WeWork used to say that all the time, like M&A deals, or I should say time kills deals. Time kills deals. And the job search, again, well, on, from the recruiting side, but for candidates to understand this, it, time is everything, right? It's like speed to fill. It's mm -hmm. how recruiters are often measured, time to fill, or, you know. And so I'd love to hear from you about like what those timelines are <laughs> and responsiveness and how you take that as a signal of interest. And, you know, you only have so many minutes in the day. You sure. know, you do like a first in, first out, you know, last in, last out. You know, how do you think about those things? So, so let's talk about it from a candidate perspective. So time, time kills deals. Again, if it's, some things are just not a priority. There's not a priority. If it, if, and, and that's a red flag sometimes, right? If, if it's not a priority. If, the, if, if that conversation going back where I said, 
you're like, Adam, this is an urgent role. We're looking to fill it as quickly as possible. And then you don't go back to me for three weeks after our first phone screen. And if it went well, you're like, what the F? Like this, this is, you're, you're not aligned here. Um, and, and then there's also real life. And I want to talk about real life for a minute here. And everyone could kind of talk about this. There's vacations. There's kids being sick. There's people's phones breaking. There's just floods of email volume coming in where it's catching up. There's scheduling. I look at some people's calendar. I look at my wife. She's an attorney. Sometimes I'll look at her. She'll show me her schedule. She's like, when am I going to go to the bathroom today? Yeah. <laughs> right? So when is that person going to be able to review your resume and schedule you? And the worst is like, you, you, I talk to a client. They look at a resume on a Tuesday. They don't get back to me till Wednesday. And they go, yeah, let's schedule Dave for later next week. Later next week comes and it's Thursday. Like, oh, something came up. I got to move Dave to next Wednesday. All of a sudden, we are now at a 12-day gap between the first connection and that interview. This is just real life. This is just what happens. So don't take it personally. But be mindful if it's a red flag or not. I've seen companies say, hey, we're really sorry. This isn't like us. And let's accelerate it. Ways to accelerate it are having multiple folks at the company on, on an interview, right? Having a round robin. One of my clients did something really successful where they have a caucus set up, right? It's groups. It's like, we've identified the hiring team. There's six people on this hiring team that every candidate has to meet with. The folks on that team all work together through a backend system where they could schedule. But all right, uh, Mike's not available. I see he's available, but, but Jane is, Jane and I are gonna take this call with the candidate. And they have a set criteria. Then everyone comes at the end online and online platform and they give their feedback based on set questions. Now we have quorum. Now we have this consensus and now we can make a group decision together and have a conversation about it. So how can companies more, be more efficient with scheduling too, right? But if it's not a priority and the same thing, like as a recruiter, as an external recruiter, I'm being compensated only if I fill a role, if it's contingency, if a company is not a priority, I'm moving on to the next role, straight up. Time is money for me. So a little bit inside baseball for the, for the, for the kids at home. And, and so I think it's, it's a tricky thing. Like one thing I, is if you're going to do it, <laughs> it like you can't half-ass your job search. And I think that there's a lot of people and same with recruiting. Like if you're mm -hmm. going to fill the position, fill the position. It's like, oh, we kind of have it like lightly open. If someone applies, it doesn't work that way. If someone applies, you got to respond right away because they're applying to other jobs. And same, if you say yes to the DM, take the meeting, figure it out. Cause then you're both wasting time. If I'm in a contingency search and a target reaches out to me, I'm scheduling you as soon as humanly possible. That's because my carrot at the end of this stick is a bag of money. Internal recruiters don't have that same motivation. They are managing a workload. The average large company recruiter, and this is not a scientific stat, could have anywhere from 10 to 20 recs job requisitions on their plate. Imagine managing 20 roles that you need to cycle through from a recruiting perspective, maybe 15 different hiring managers that you have to communicate with. And now you got a source, you got a screen, you got a schedule and get that all done. Time. The work day, not the software, <laughs> the nine to five. You know, one of the tricky things is like, you know, recruiters are working during the workday and I've seen this, you know, being on the candidate side and looking at the data, people really treat the job search in the context of the work week. You know, like Mondays are very active and then the weekends are quite light. Um, where does things like after hours, before work, you know, say like non-work hours in air quotes, like, does that help you, hurt you as a candidate? 
if you're like willing to take meetings, uh, does it say something? Is it like a red flag if the company wants to schedule you, you know, at 7 p.m.? Any thoughts on that? It's, it's Any a whole, it goes back to the pandemic with, with so many people shifting to home and their availability. You know how hard it was, Dave, back before pandemic? And you probably remember this too when you were a candidate having to sneak out on your lunch break. And I remember working in New York City and I'm like, where do I find a freaking quiet place in New York City? I'm like literally behind a dumpster behind the Chipotle, right? Like I'm like crouching <laughs> behind and like there's fire trucks and sirens and everything. Now people take calls wherever the hell they want at any time. So it's made it easier, in my opinion, to, to schedule calls. Um, me as a recruiter, if a prime candidate needs to only talk on a weekend and I have that availability, listen, for me, weekends are family and they're usually off limits. But if I have to, I will. My wife understands what I do for a living. It's business. Same thing with a business development prospect for a client. You take a call when you need to. On the flip side of that, as a, as a, as a agency or, or a client reaching out to candidates, you have to give them the options. Mm. And it's kind of how you frame it. Be like, hey, Dave, I know you're most likely busy during the nine to five. If it's easier for you, our recruiting team is available after hours with limitations. That's kind of a cool thing in my opinion, because you know what? I'm going to take this call at eight o'clock at night when I'm done with my work day. Cause I'm the type of person that focuses all day and actually does my job. Right. Instead of taking recruiter calls all day when I'm on your, but your, your time and dime. Um, I think it works both ways and it's all about how you frame it. Uh, it, it's tough when they say that's the only option, right? When it's like, no, I can only talk to you after that. So do you think that's one of the sort of unspoken retur return to office things that has like your, I'll give another example that I think is a, a parallel. When, when I was at WeWork, one of the big objections on our prospects, I was involved in the sales process would be if I move my company into WeWork, are my employees going to get poached? Because they're going to like run into <laughs> another in the founder tank, yeah. <laughs> in the kitchen and they're going to have coffee together. And like, are my employees like open season? Like, am I just going to have crazy churn. And so it was, it's, it's like I the Sahara desert out there. Like the <laughs> yeah. And people were legit scared of it, right? It's, like, it's safari, it too yeah. easy for my employees to find another job. You know, my response is that I couldn't say out loud is like, well, it's on you to have a great culture that keeps yeah, them and pay attention. them well. And if not, you know, Hey, look, it's a free market. But I, I think this is, we're going to see like you know, when we fast forward three years, four years, and we look at the employee tenure, like, I don't think there's going, we can go back to a world where everyone's comfortable with virtual interviewing. A lot of people are work from home. And look, at I think it's part of why we're seeing labor costs go up. Like, it's like people aren't talking about this aspect. <laughs> I got to get that. It's a big question. I think we're in the midst of the great recalibration. Mm. And the great recalibration comes in different ways, right? So we had the great migration, the great resignation, right, with COVID. Then we had the great resignation, you know, the, 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 now the return to office comes back into it. Um, the recalibration is coming in two folds. Um, return to office and compensation, right? The market crashed, money was, the pandemic came, the government threw out tons of free money. Companies took those PPP loans and they binge hired like crazy. Three years later, pandemic's over and guess what inflation's up market's down first in last out that was the mass tech let go the, the 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 firings and the furloughing and all the other stuff there too now the market is flooded back out with a ton of talent this talent is going out and interviewing 
they're expecting to get this high salaries that we're giving to them during the pandemic. And now expectations aren't being met because the compensation now when the supply and demand change, now we're recalibrating. We're getting back to fair market value for certain levels and candidates have to be okay with that. I've saw candidates getting 30, 40% raises moving from jobs. I think the average going from a job to job in a white collar role is about seven to 8% at most, maybe 10% on a raise. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to from a senior manager to a director, I'm going from 100 to 120, 130K. That's a nice bump. We've seen crazy reasons. We saw people coming out of school with inflated salaries. We saw on the Web3 side, we saw devs getting half a million dollars because the demand was so high right there. That's not happening. That's a great recalibration. That also applies to return to office. I am a true believer in work from anywhere if a company could support it for your role, right? And that comes down to trust, options, and choices. If a company could provide those things and still ensure the work is getting done, but that doesn't come down to the company. That comes down to the employee. Could Mm -hmm. you get your job done just as well sitting in the office as you could do from home? Then I don't give a crap where you are. Are you able to come in when we have team building, team meetings, client needs, and not give me shit about it? Then we're cool. I also think that there's a big, you talked about the cost of doing businesses, these companies that are stuck in these 10-year, 20-year leases, Mm -hmm. and they're using that as a reason to pull people back into an office. Mm-hmm. So it's time to change the dynamic and think about other ways to utilize that space. I mean, ultimately it benefits the company. I'm, I'm, I'm a work from anywhere kind of play, uh, person. And, you know, funny, I used to be in sort of the office yeah. business. Um, it, but, it, you know, it's not for everyone. But ultimately what I'd love everyone to do is append it with it's not for me. Like people talk about it as a universal truth. Like we are less efficient, not in the office. It's like, Maybe because I don't know how to run a team as efficiently remotely. That's cool. I can get behind that. I'm not willing to invest. Like it's more comfortable for me. Totally fine. I want to run the company this way. Totally fine. But to talk about it as like a universal truth, that doesn't seem right. Here, here's, here's another bias that is, and I'm going to do a post on this soon. You and I, I'm going to make an assumption. Have a comfortable life. We have a house. Yes. We have a space to work. I have an office, you have an office, I have a studio. There are so many people out there that were forced to work from home during a pandemic and they were in a place where they, hey, maybe I'm in a one bedroom apartment mm-hmm. in the city with two kids, four cats and an elderly relative. How the hell am I gonna sit at my kitchen office all day and be at my peak performance, take calls and everything when I have kids running around? I gotta get them uh, remote schooling and all that. We take that for granted. Some people thrive in an office. Some people need to physically be in the office because they don't right. have that physical space. It's a terrible bias in the work from home conversation. It's bullshit in my opinion. Some people need to have that office option. Yeah, I think it's conditional. And there is like, and so optionality, I think, and I think the, the companies that are able to provide that optionality and get better at management. I just think like as mm-hmm. knowledge work becomes the majority of work. Well, we'll see. I mean, we're having sort of like blue collar shortages left and right. Uh, and AI may make knowledge work. You know, there may be less demand for it. Tremendous um, blue collar shortage. And there's also a major shortage of, of accounting, accounting and number crunchers in this country. But to what you said before, is AI going to replace a lot of that functionality as well? I mean, to keep it, you know, where I was trying to keep us tactical, but I don't know. This one, yeah. this just maybe one of the episodes where we get more theoretical. Um, Cause I love this stuff. Yeah. The other like macro, I think effect is salary transparency, right? Like you're seeing it 
know, we must be at like 10 plus states that now have it. <laughs> I'll fact check that in, in the show notes. But there's twofold to that. It's like, now I know what I'm applying for. It's sort of, but the employee base, like a company is like de facto salary transparent now, because even if they don't share salaries internally, the JD for the job I have has just been posted and the salary in that JD is higher than what I make. Let's talk, let's talk about internal equity when it comes down to, so let's pull back the curtain again. Most organizations, if they're more than like 200, 300, 400 people, they're going to have salary bands and you need yep. to have that from a finance planning perspective. You have levels, you have roles. American Express, I remember I had up to like level 50 when I worked there, right? And these are salary bands and they're very useful for a company because it's defining a title and where you fall into that. If you're being promoted internally, what's your jump going to be? If we're hiring somebody, here's a bandwidth. We're able to hire at this direct level between 150 and 175 on the high end. So now as a recruiter, I have some bandwidth of where I could kind of go with that offer. And I also know that I have pre-approved finance approval to make that offer. And now I don't have to go back to finance and ask for more money necessarily, right? So what happens to your point when you're inside of a company and you're like, wait a minute, that salary is 200K, but I'm only at 140, right? Now you're going to, you know, that, that kind of throws the whole, the whole shebang off. I have very mixed thoughts on salary transparency. I think in the job description, it's cool to give someone a range. And I also like to say too, like, cause you don't want to limit somebody to like, let's just say the high end of a role is 200 K and Dave wants 205. I'm like, you know what? I could probably get that 5k for a real good candidate. So it's how you word it, how you phrase it. And also not totally disqualifying somebody. And here's the other thing too. If I'm a job seeker, cause you can't ask somebody their salary and I see 150 to 200. What salary do you think I'm going to ask for in the interview? <laughs> Like, give me a freaking, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do, I'll talk about like, you know, we're constantly holding ourselves to as high of a standard as we can, given what we do, is for the majority of the positions, I'm not putting in a range. Because I think that the discrepancy. Not a range, a hard number? Hard number, single number. And we only hire in the U.S. and we don't localize per state. It's like we pay U.S. rates. Um, and so that's obviously sort of embedded in that. And. I'm trying to decouple because people want to negotiate and we tell people to negotiate because in most of the market you can, but Everything's there's a difference between what you're worth in the market. It's like, you may be worth that. This is our budget. This is what we can afford. Exactly. We, are, we are hiring a four, three software engineer. You, yeah, you have five, two abilities. That's just not what we need. And if we went and like modified everything for the person that applied to try to your finance your value to, yeah. is not what we can afford. Those are two different things. This is not our representation of how we feel about you, how valuable we think you are. We're not a cheap company. It's just what I can afford. This is not a slight on you. This and is trying the to budget. Couple these two things, and it's hard, and it doesn't always happen. And like I have another offer, it's like great, go do it because this is how we stay fair. You know, this is how we, it's not the squeaky wheel gets the grease, the person who knows to ask and the, all the people who don't make less, we're just, we don't want to perpetuate that system. I, I like, I like that approach. I like that approach. I think that it's, it's fair and, and it's, it's, but then you see the companies that, you always see the ones out there. Oh yeah. Our salary range is a uh, dollar to a million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah. Like screw you. Like if you want me to put a range in there, I'm just, what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the range. Yeah, I mean, what was happening was exactly your point is it, it just always ended in disappointment, right? So like on the company side, the majority of the time, like, yeah, it's the middle. If the person's a little less, I'll go down. If they're great, I'll go up. On the candidate side, it's always the top. It's always. Like, you are set for disappointment without a doubt. 
Yeah. And I mean, the way I like to do it is if I'm on a call with a candidate, because you cannot ask how much money somebody is making these days, I'll say, this is the way I phrase it. Dave, you know, we're going to have that. We certainly we have to have the con- this conversation. I am not going to pigeonhole you. I am not going to hold you to this, but I need a range of what you're targeting in your next position. Give me a range. Right. So I ask for a range. And then if the, if the number is too high, go listen. If it's completely out of the out of the range, I say, listen, we're, we're off. That's why we're having the conversation now. Sometimes you call their bluff on it and they'll come back to you like a day later on email. Like, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that number. Right. Cause, cause they, they're shooting high, but it also gives me a sense of where they want to be. And nine out of 10 times, people are having an open, honest conversation with me. I go, listen, my job, if I'm working contingency, I want to get you the highest salary because that's what I'm yeah, getting compensated. Get percentage. It's a funny right. myth. I mean, like oh. it's, it, you hear people all the time. It's like the recruiter gets bonus if they save it. They actually don't. Most recruiters are measured internal recruiters on time to hire. It's not on dollars saved for salary and agency recruiters or headhunters are percentage of comp. So they're mm-hmm. all actually, they want to get it done as fast as possible and keeping money out of your pocket. Isn't going to speed things up or they want you to make more because they make more. So the mm-hmm. majority of people are actually aligned with you making as much as possible. Yeah. I, I mean, it's in best case scenario, but then I also phrase it like this too. I go, when, when I'm, when I'm working internally, like, let's just say you hire me to be a freelance recruiter at Teal and, and I'm doing hiring for you. I go, listen, here's the deal. I know the range. I know the, for this role, my job is to find a happy medium on both sides. And most people are rational and they understand that I'm going to aim to try to get you as much as possible, but I'm also going to be realistic with you and tell you the truth. If you're too high and then you can make that decision. I don't write your check. I want you to get, I want you to get, you know, paid as much as you can, but guess what? This is this company's budget. They are not paying you one penny over one sixty K a year. Yeah. I'm not saying it to be a jerk. I'm just telling you. That's the tricky thing. It's like, you know, here's another thing I've been thinking about lately is that a trick that has been done on the workforce is to negotiate at the year, this, this fictitious year, right? The fictitious annualized salary. And so now even internally, we don't pay people on a yearly basis. So -hmm. why do we talk about salary on a yearly basis, right? We might pay them weekly, hourly, weekly, bi-weekly, twice a month, you know, every two, uh, twice a month. And so even internally, I'm like, okay, look, let's think about what does this mean to the company on a monthly basis, which is how we budget. Right. And I I tell people, Hey, if you're going to negotiate, bring that back to the company. It's like, Oh, I want to go from, you know, let's say one, 20 to 144, you know, it's like 20, uh, 20, it's $2,000 a month company. That's like nothing to you in the grand scheme of things. But when you say $24,000, so that's a big number, but it's just so funny. This thing we've done with this, like, and this fictitious taxes after everything comes out of it. Right. Do you realize how much comes out of taxes? Do you realize the difference between 150 and 175 a year? It's not $25,000 a year. It's maybe I'm making this up and fact check me on the math. Maybe a couple, few hundred dollars a paycheck. Not to yeah. say it doesn't make a difference in someone's life, but let's, let's, let's think about yeah, it. That's one of the, it's like the annualized salary is a funny thing and it hurts both. Cause I've seen certain candidates, you know, like I get it. Like we have content that helps people negotiate for every last dollar, um, which they should, because that's your highest moment of leverage compared to like trying to get a raise later. Cause unfortunately we don't promote people at the same rate that we, I mean, that's why that's, that's, there's that statistic that people make a 10% raise when they switch jobs. Right. The only way to make a real bump is, you know, to change up. It's true. It's uh, the system needs work. I'm hoping some of this salary transparency stuff helps. I think that, but I do think the pendulum has to swing a little further 
it's kind of like it has to get a little more broken before it's fully fixed. What is what is the answer? I mean, is it is it predefined raises in a, in an organization so people understand that? Is it a higher number to keep retention? Right, like if you every every year you're going to instead of that normal two to three percent every year you're going to get based on your performance five to ten percent. That's how I'm going to keep somebody. You kick ass, you're going to get you're going to get ten percent. So you don't have to move jobs. I don't. I'm just throwing it out there, right? Like what are what are solutions? My sense is more transparency. Hmm. More transparency. Yeah, always, always, always. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, unless it's not le- part of the reason it's like anxiety inducing is because it's so unknown. Well, that's, that's the X factor in the, in the interview process too. It's not, it's not knowing to. I've seen great companies also do, just a side note, is um, they really utilize the ATS to be a candidate dashboard. But that yeah. requires a recruiter to keep updating it. Your resume is still in review, in review, right? <laughs> but, that, but that requires, you know, if you're talking about managing expectations, right? Where does a candidate stand in the process? I am also very transparent with candidates. I am always transparent. Say, Dave, you are a little bit late to the game. That's just the way it works in the process. We're having our first phone call now, but I'm going to be open with you. We have three candidates in the final round. So yep. there's a good chance we're going to see those through before I get back to you in next steps. Or... Right. We're early in the process. You're the first candidate I'm speaking with. Just to be straight up with you, I'm going to be in this early stage for the next couple of weeks. Right. So that's another thing too. you as a candidate. You're not always coming to the process on day one when they put the job out there. Yep. That's it. Something complete. I'm going to write a post about there's another great idea too. understanding. And as a as a candidate. Hey, uh, uh, Dave, thank you so much for taking the time. Can you give me a sense of uh, where, where where you're at in the process now? Do you have any candidates far along? Simple question. Yeah, I think it's like qualifications are one of many factors, but I think more important to understand is that time, time is a key criteria in jobs. Like how qualified are you relative to the first cohort of applicants, the people that applied on week one? And then like those, if, if ideally your hires in the week one cohort, like you put, you open the job, right? That, that would be the best. And so if you apply on week two and there's a great candidate in week one, honestly, maybe even like 80% of the candidate that you are, they've already got a leg up because they've already had a few interviews. That's less thing they have to schedule, less time on all the people that have to do the interviews because again, the hire wants to be made. So speed to hiring on both sides. I mean, I just think about like when I post a job, that first batch of applicants, because we promote it in our newsletter, we share it on social. I look right. at every single one of those. So low hanging fruit. Super high. Like I'm refreshing greenhouse. Every hour, yeah. by week two, week three, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll check it once a week. And so there's like, it's not that it's not any less important, but there's other people in the process. Now I've got 10 people in screeners, one person into a technical. Mm-hmm. So like, am I going to bring someone into the process three weeks in when I've already got so many? It, so time is just such a critical aspect and that urgency to do it. You just, you can't sleep on it. I, I, I 100% agree. What, what, what more could I tell your audience about, you know, the kimonos open before we wrap the show? What more can I tell you? Let's see here. Let's, let's, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to eventually come up with like a rapid fire for one of these. Cause I always like when shows do that, like Lenny's podcast does that really well. Um, but here, let's we'll just end with this one. Since you as an agency recruiter, you get to see lots of companies. Have you seen a single ATS that automatically screens or ranks candidates? I, 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 I have not, I have not seen this, but what I will talk about again, there are things called knockout questions. Yeah. I, let's just say I will have three questions. If you're not a U.S. citizen, if you don't have this particular software, if you don't 
live in this particular region. That has nothing to do with you as a person. It has just all to do with what that company needs for that specific role. That's what will knock you out. Now, I've seen the ability internally as a human recruiter to go into an ETS and I could sort and I could filter and I could look for certain things. I could look for tenure. I could look for keywords. I have to do it. But I haven't seen a ranking. I've heard rumors of ETS using some AI out there in the future that might be able to do this. Right? So there are some things in technology that aren't unnecessarily not true, but they're not automatically deleting you unless it's a knockout question. That's the truth. I do think this is one of those situations where like the ATS sci-fi or the folklore yeah. could become real. Like it's because it just wasn't real before, but there is like bulk rejection based off things like that. Those are true, but it's not AI. It's like very simple. I bulk rejected filtering. candidates, but I put them in a filter of, of it'll be easier for me to say these are unqualified. And I hit a little box and there's 30 people in there and they're going to get that automated email from that company saying, thank you for your time. We appreciate it, but we're passing right now. Yeah. It's almost always it. a person. It well, is. Adam, that was awesome. We covered a lot of stuff. Definitely went on, went down paths that haven't gone on any of the other episodes. This will be a fun one. Um, how can folks follow along? You're on a lot of channels, the marketer that you are. What's the best way Keep for folks to uh, tune in? I appreciate everyone connecting and following me on LinkedIn at Adam J. Posner. You can check out the podcast at thepodcast.com um, and on Instagram at NH. P talent and uh, I don't even know. I'm trying to mess with Twitter X, whatever you call it these days. Oh, follow me on TikTok. I've really been trying to TikTok. My daughter, my 11 year old daughter, is my editor. She's amazing at it. She crushes TikTok. I'm doing all these cool things with split screens and green screens. But um, Dave, uh, and I mean this sincerely, I love what you're building with Teal. Anything to help job seekers organize. Remember, plan your work, work your plan, and treat your job search harder than you do your current job, and you will be successful. And manage expectations. Very good ending advice. Well, thanks so much. I was, this was on the books for a while, so I'm glad we got to do it. Absolutely. And I look forward to the next one. Cool, man. See you in Miami. See ya. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.